Welcome to The Mentor List. To turn you into the best version of you that's around. To seek support and you need to allow yourself to be supported. Really have a point of difference. What is precious, what's really important and then putting some boundaries there. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Welcome to The Mentor List. This is our specialist mini-series called Diversity Matters Leaders in Conversation. With your mini-series host, Richard Elstone, prior guests on the show and well-known expert and coach in getting execs ready for making a move. I hope you enjoy this episode of Diversity Matters Leaders in Conversation here on The Mentor List. Welcome to Diversity Matters Leaders in Conversation. Today, I've got the CIO of Unisuper, Anna Leibel, who I've known for a number of years, and she's got, I think, a fascinating story to share today. Welcome, Anna. Thank you very much, Richard. So let's, let's kick off straight away, and if you can sort of start to talk about a little bit about your background and your childhood and where you were born, it'd be great. So I'm the eldest of two girls. I spent all of my childhood right through till I was 20 living in Diamond Creek, which might be seen as a suburb of Melbourne nowadays, but at the time it was a small country town. I was a very active child. Mum and Dad say that I always wanted to be involved in everything and to help them. So whether that was in the kitchen or in the garden or out with Dad, because he had two daughters, out with Dad in the garage. I loved reading from a very early age, and I still do. My mum grew up in Melbourne. She's the eldest of three children and trained to be a teacher. So back in 1964, teachers had one year of teacher training. My Mm. dad is from Germany, so he was born in 1947 and he's the second youngest of nine children, so a large family, and they moved to Australia in 1956. My dad left school at the end of year 10 and he had to undertake a five-year plumbing apprenticeship. I just thought that was worth mentioning because it's interesting that my mum had one year of training to be a teacher, but my dad had five years to learn to be That's a plumber. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm. So are you a small business type background? Did your father have his own business? or? So my father then continued to be a plumber and joined the Gas and Fuel, where he moved into management roles and spent all of his corporate career before leaving the Gas and Fuel and starting his own computer business, which we can talk about a bit later. And mum continued to be a teacher right up until her retirement. Fantastic, fantastic. So how did they and how did your upbringing in in Diamond Creek, which is now definitely a suburb of Melbourne, (laughs) (laughs) how did they and your mum and dad sort of help shape who you are today? What values did they give you? My parents are hard workers. We didn't grow up with a lot of money and so everything that we did have, they had to work hard for. But also we were heavily involved as volunteers in a local fire brigade, so the CFA. My dad joined the CFA in 1969 and continued to support the local community through the CFA for about 30 years, including being the captain for five years of that time. And my mum was the president of the Ladies Auxiliary for 12 years. And my sister and I were also involved in different running groups and things that were available through the fire brigade. And so for me, that sense of giving back to the community and supporting the community has always been there. So from a values perspective, I've reflected back on the times in my career that I've been able to feel that again and find that again. And in particular, that was during my time at PWC when I worked with Victoria Government. 
as a client across things like the Royal Commission into Family Violence and Service Victoria, but also now being on the Ambulance Victoria board, I do find it very rewarding and get that sense of satisfaction and giving back that I felt when I was part of the CFA. Fantastic. So I forgot to mention that you're on all those boards. You're really commencing, you really are kicking off your Ned portfolio these days, aren't you? (laughs) I am, I am. And what do you get out of that? So for me, it's it's being able to take a 25-year career and experience to the community. It's through that role of playing a governance aspect across AV. And so whether that's across different areas around information and cybersecurity, around the governance of procurements and finances, and also playing a really active role around people and culture. It also provides the opportunity for me to learn because I haven't had a health background. Absolutely. So going back to your early life, at school, inevitably there's somebody in one's early life that potentially maybe an early mentor, maybe a sports coach, maybe a teacher, or somebody after you graduated from university that just became that person that helped shape who you are today? And if so, who was that person and why do you regard them so highly? So Richard, I have two people that played a really significant role in my life. The first one is my mum and she was an amazing role model for me. So I was born in the mid seventies. Back then, generally mums would stay at home. So my mum actually worked from the time I went to prep. So I went back to teaching But she even worked when my sister and I were at home. She actually had family daycare, so looking after other people's children in our home. But she was always managing her own finances, so she had her own bank account. She bought her own cars. (laughs) She would pay for her own holidays and really played an active role around guiding my sister and I around being independent and how important that independence was. Because she was a teacher, she loved my love of reading. And when I was in prep, one day you have your, your reader that you bring home for homework. And I asked, well, I turned to mum and said, mum, I can read this faster in my head. Do I have to read it out aloud? And mum laughed at me and said, go ahead. But she used to test me and make sure I actually did my reading. But the other influential person was actually my grade four teacher. And her name was, we called her Miss Kay, but it was Miss Kennedy. And she was so supportive of my love of reading. I literally had my head in a book constantly. And other people had commented on that, that I was a quiet child. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't participate a lot. I just loved reading. And so Miss Kay actually encouraged me to read, but also on a number of weekends would go to book fairs with me and different readings. And so I look back fondly on the influence she had on me in grade four to really just enjoy the love of books. It's fantastic. And if we were to go to your house now, do you have a massive library? I do. I do. I have so many books, it's crazy. And even then, I still buy a lot of books online, but I've got a massive bookshelf and it's very full. Very good, very good. And was there a particular book that you read, sort of maybe not in grade four, but maybe as a young teen that resonated with you then? And maybe does it still resonate now when you reread it? Did you get that? Because I remember having a book like that when I was young, where it, it was. I loved it at the time, and then when I reread it, it was a disappointment, mm. actually. But but sometimes <laughs> people, but some yeah, sometimes people have that just continue to enjoy the book. I think the book that I recall that I still do love, and it's really interesting that it popped up again, was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
so the Narnia mm-hmm. story. But for me, it's what reading does for me. And even back as a child, it was my way of getting some time out. And it still today plays that role. Fantastic. Fantastic. Can you give us a bit of an overview of your career? Did you go to university and what did you study and how did you end up in IT? Well, that actually started a lot earlier when I finished school. I actually taught myself how to code when I was eight years old. And I mentioned earlier that mum and dad had to work for everything that we had. Dad actually worked overtime a lot for about 11 years. He did overtime and shift work and actually used some of that money to buy us a computer in the house and a book around learning how to code. Now, what's interesting is he actually bought that for himself. I mentioned earlier that he went from plumbing and gas fitting into starting his own IT business. He actually is completely self-trained. And I get that from my dad. I also taught myself how to code. And today I find learning about new and emerging technologies very, very easy and how to apply them. And so teaching myself how to code at eight, I think, set the path for my career rather than me choosing to go into IT. And when I was working, I, was, I had a part-time job at a local supermarket, but as well as that in year 12, it got to the middle of the year I turned 18. And a lot of my friends and my family's friends were actually asking me for help with their computers. This was the time that the World Wide Web was launched and email was new and people couldn't get their head around the concept of how you could send an email to someone. Because back then we were writing letters and sending faxes. And so I actually saw an opportunity to start my own business. And so I was still actually working at the supermarket, but as well as doing year 12, and actually started my own IT training business with my mum's car. So I borrowed a car and a stack of business cards. So I continued doing that business for four years. I did leave the supermarket and actually also got a full-time job. So you can see there's a real work ethic here. Not a lot of balance, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) And basically help businesses and families really raise their awareness and maturity around how to use those new technology tools. So I spent most of my 20s working across service desk and into project management roles. And for most of my 20s, the jobs were just work. I really didn't have a sense of a career and I wasn't overly ambitious. That was when I worked for a manager at Telstra in a role who saw potential in me and really helped me understand what that potential was. So even how to articulate it and how to progress it and actually gave me opportunities to continue to grow. And so that's really... His name's Jason Kelsey. He's a partner at Deloitte now. And he and I have had a great conversation about a year ago about the significant role that he did play around my career. It was a real turning point for me. I then moved into focusing more around leadership roles. In my 20s really were around more technology skills and undertook my first transformational role back in 2012 at Telstra around a delivery function which I found really rewarding and then had the opportunity to move into a sales role at Telstra. So working across Telstra's enterprise and government client space in a sales capacity. Now talk about taking myself out of my comfort zone. I went out of a large delivery role where I was quite comfortable. I moved into a sales role that used a lot of lingo that I was not familiar with, but I also didn't have a team. So I went in there as an individual contributor And that was a really great experience for me around expanding on my learning. And thanks to that role, that really did combine the sales and the IT background. I was approached by PwC to join their IT consulting practice, which I did do and had a very rewarding time there working across their client base, but predominantly in Victorian government. And then I left PwC and joined Unisuper 
uh, did join as the CIO, so Accountable for Technology. And last May had an expanded role announced and that really brings together project delivery and our member administration, which we call operations and continue to keep the technology space as well. So that pulls together half of the business. It's about 500 people, including the partners, the vendor partners that we have working with us and really helps deliver all of the strategic change for the business as well as manage all of our member processes. So how we actually support our members through their onboarding and all the other different types of requests they have around their superannuation and their pensions, and also the operational side of IT. So more around your information and cybersecurity and all of the incident management, problem management and change management. So it's a really broad role, a very rewarding role and a great, great group of people to work with. It's almost a chief operating officer role, isn't it, really? In the market, it would be equivalent to a COO role. That's right, Richard. Fantastic. Uh, got your hands full. I must admit, 500-odd people. Wow, that's just, that's amazing. So is there a diversity or inclusion story that affected you that you feel that you could share that would resonate with our audience? So I've got stories. I could keep you entertained for hours around people talking over the top of me, turning their back to me in meetings, commenting on how long my arms and legs are. For those I know it's a podcast, I am six foot tall, so I am quite lanky. But for me, I always look at what I can actually influence. And for me, I had a very pivotal moment about five years ago where I actually decided to undertake my yoga teacher training. So it's a bit random because I love to learn and I do love yoga and I just wanted to get better at it. So I turned up on the first day and looked around and nearly everyone else in the class was 20. I was already 40 in my 40s and they all looked like supermodels. And I told myself in my mind, you're too old, you're not fit enough, you're not going to do well at this. And within four days, I was doing headstands and handstands. And I spent a lot of time afterwards reflecting on what else I was telling myself I couldn't do, not just in my career, but also in my life. Because for me, I think it's us thinking, like at the time, I remember thinking career-wise that I was too young to have the big job. And now I think I'm in my mid-40s and soon there'll be a perception that I could be too old for a certain job or to do a certain activity. And so for me, that was so important to the decisions that I've made, in particular around leaving PwC to join Unisuper for my first executive role. Fantastic. That's a great story to tell. At the end of the day, I think we've all got our inner voices that we need to sort of quieten down. So does yoga help you with that? It does, the yoga and the reading. So a lot of the things I do outside work today are actually things that quieten my mind, as I do find I'm on constantly when I'm at work. I think I need some hints myself. I find that, you know, I go to sleep okay, but then at three o'clock in the morning, the brain's buzzing. Yeah. It'd be great to get some hints about that one if you've got some time. <laughs> I sleep like a baby. <laughs> Very good. Well, you probably, I, I probably have to look elsewhere then for uh, some hints about that. If you uh, had the opportunity to do so and you could go back to your 21-year-old self to give that 21-year-old Anna some advice, what would you say to Anna and why? So at 20, Richard, I'd already built a house and I had a mortgage. And so if I could go back and talk to that 21-year-old girl, I would say to her, please remember to enjoy yourself and lighten up a little bit. So by having a mortgage at such a young age, I've mentioned before I worked two jobs. So I had my own business and had a full-time job. I've always been a really hard worker, but I have found it hard to, to have balance. 
And I think I started that off at a really young age by having such a significant commitment. That is a significant commitment. A mortgage at 20. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a bit crazy, actually. So I did miss out on some things that other that my friends were doing at that time, whether it was a gap year or going to Europe for three months to go backpacking. I was paying a mortgage. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so uh, is there a quote that resonates with you that you live by? Yeah, I really like one by Ken Blanchard, and it's the key to successful leadership is influence, not authority. Very good. And, yeah, how, you, and it, how do you live with that? And how does that, does that check you at some moments? So I think it's really thinking through or developing who you are as a leader. And I actually think that's something that we will all con- or we should continue to work on throughout our whole career. And I think back to the role, in particular, the role at, at Telstra in 2012 when I was undertaking my first transformation. I wouldn't say I was authoritative in style, but I was definitely the one making all the decisions. And I now work from a philosophy that I am one person and I'm only as good as my team. And so it's really me working with them and really helping them have clarity around their role as an individual as well as the role of their team and what they're actually held accountable for and measured on and helping them have the confidence to continue to grow and look for that potential that Jason found in me. Absolutely. Have you developed anybody recently or over your career that you're most proud of? Yes. (laughs) I've got so many examples where I'm so proud of the people that I work with. But one individual is a lady named Christy, and she won't mind me mentioning this. She was working in a role at Unisuper when I joined leading a team and had been doing it for quite a while. She wasn't loving her work and was ready for something new. And we had some long discussions around what she was looking to do next. And I did challenge her around her thinking around remaining in a people leader role as I did think she could take her background, which is in governance and risk, and actually grow into a different area. So in a way, like reinventing herself. And she actually moved into our information security team and heads up all of our education and awareness program for the company. And if you think about her background in governance and risk, it's definitely complementary. But moving away from being a people leader was a difficult decision for her to make. But she's extremely happy today and did a fantastic interview with the University of Tasmania which is available on YouTube if anyone's interested. Fantastic. That sounds really good. And what about a book? Come on, there must be a few books in your library. There's there's lots of Uh, Richard, there's lots of books. (laughs) That you suggest that people read to help them with their career. So, I mean, you don't need to pick one, but is there sort of maybe four or five that sort of out of all the ones that that you think must are must reads for people? I do have a few. You'll be surprised. (laughs) One that I haven't read, I first read about 15 years ago, but I still think he's so powerful, is Ken Blanchard again, but The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. Have you read it, Richard? No, I haven't read that one. No, no, that sounds good. A really short and easy read, but is so powerful around describing how to delegate. And I think as you do transition from being an individual contributor to moving into being a leader, you don't do the work anymore. You do need to delegate. It's what makes you good at what you do. And this goes about it perfectly. So I highly recommend that. Great. Excellent. Good to Great by Jim Collins. Yes, read that it's one. always, everyone's, I think everyone's read it, but I think it's one that's a really great read, but one that's worth picking up every few years. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team 
Have you read that? Oh, I haven't read that one, no, no. That's also got a very storytelling approach, which the One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey does as well, really around the factors that get in the way of highly productive teams. So that's, a, that's a, a, a great read. It's all storytelling based, so it's actually reading them. But you can go into nearly every team and find those different types of people working within teams and it's how to effectively get them all working together. Mm. Another one is Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. No, I haven't read that one. So when you can't sleep at three o'clock in the morning, you can keep these next to your bed and you can read those. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. <laughs> but Simon's amazing as it is. This book really talks about the how to build trust and how to collaborate across a team. So they're all really focused, I think, around leadership. So that's where my, where my passion lies. Fantastic. Well, it's been terrific again to catch up with you and thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful interview. I really, really appreciate it and it's been great and I'm sure everybody will enjoy it. Thanks for the opportunity, Richard. No problem. Thank you for joining us today at The Mentor List. If you'd like to hear more or speak to us about recommending our next interview guest, come on through to mentorlist.com.au. You can also find out more about our suite of mastermind series taking shape in your area, your industry, and your discipline. We look forward to welcoming you to one of our events very soon. Stay tuned for another great show. Thank you for listening to The Mental List. If you like what you're hearing on The Mental List, the best way to support the show is to just take a few seconds to leave a rating and or comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mental List. <laughs>